Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. What do you do when you want to start something new, but you don't know exactly how? Yeah, so I'd gotten to Vermont and had a little trouble finding uh, my, a full-time job. So I'd been looking around uh, and nothing had felt quite right. And that's when I decided, well, maybe I should cut out on my own and try and do this. This is Luke. My name is Luke McGowan, and I live in the Upper Valley. Luke had moved from Boston. And he decided to take the plunge and start a business, McGowan Consulting. But he wasn't sure if he was going about it in the right way. I had to go register uh, with the Department of State and get my business license. And I was kind of curious, am I doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing? Is there more that I should be doing? And kind of that question of, did I file the right paperwork? Am I doing my taxes the right way? What should you do for health care? How do you save for retirement? Luke had all these questions swirling in his head. So he came to us. What does a Vermonter have to do to successfully start and run their own small business? Luke shared this question in August of last year. That might seem like a long time ago, but remember, people, we're a monthly podcast. In any case, I really love this question because it's super meta. Luke asked about small business, just as he was starting a small business, to help other small businesses. From when I first asked this question to today, uh, I was able to set up a business, and I've been helping kind of other small businesses and nonprofits figure out how to grow and hire folks and find customers for themselves. But Luke is still curious. What wisdom can his fellow business owners share? I feel like the people who are going to know best or at least have like the most relevant information for people who are like, should I start a small business? What should I do? Are the people who have actually done it themselves. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. This is a show where you ask the questions and you also decide which question we take on every month by voting in our public voting rounds. Luke McGowan is this month's winner with his question about what it takes to start and run a small business in Vermont. So I'd love to hear from people who've kind of already walked this path and figured out, here's how you do these things. To answer Luke's question, we talk to small business owners from all over the state. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. We asked Luke if there were any business owners he thought we should hear from in this episode, and he suggested Abracadabra Coffee Company in Woodstock. 
Angela. Hey, Sarah. Hey. <laughs> nice to meet you. you well, come on in. Great, thanks so much. Yeah. Hey. Abracadabra roasts single-origin coffee in a space above the Ottaquichi River. On weekends, they open up as a cafe. That's when Luke likes to come by. I just, this was my stop as I was on the way to the dump. Or actually, often after dropping the trash <laughs> off at the dump, yeah. what got me out of bed in the morning was the coffee here at Abracadabra. So. If you don't live in town, you can order beans online or buy cans of Abracadabra cold brew in stores. This is a cold brew. It's a natural process Ethiopian coffee, super fruity. Um, and this is our nitro cold brew, so nitrogen-infused, cascading, you know, creamy mouthfeel. Sarah Yetter is a partner in Abracadabra. Luke and I sit down with her and the company's founders at a squeaky table in the cafe. I'm Antoinette Hunt, and I'm a co-founder and co-owner at Abracadabra Coffee. Oh, I'm Clint Hunt, co-founder, head roaster. Antoinette and Clint started Abracadabra slowly and cautiously. They began testing their product at farmer's markets about five years ago. I mean, it was like just, just to see. And it was obviously like a need that people were really into it. And then, um, yeah, we just could slowly start taking time away from our other jobs to, to go into what we really wanted to do, you know. They started out roasting in a shed in their backyard. Then Sarah came on board. Then they moved to this space. And recently they bought a larger roaster which was a big step. Luke asked them about it. Kind of curious, I remember when you were talking about that sweet new roaster <laughs> yeah. that you got, and I just remember thinking that must be a big kind of moment in the life of the business when you're like, all right, we're going to put down, that was a lot of money that you put down for that, mm -hmm. right? The roaster and some other upgrades totaled $50,000. Abracadabra figures they'll pay that off in two years. This is one of those pivotal moments for a small business, when you invest in your next chapter. And so, how'd you get there? Like, what made you think, okay, this is it, let's, let's go even deeper? Right, it was, the, it was mostly the, the struggle and the pain of uh, roasting all day every day, <laughs> and feeling like I was losing my mind slightly. Uh, yeah, no, that was it, when you realize that there isn't any more time to do other aspects of the business. And it kind of just freed up, you know, all of us really to do other things, to engage more on social media or to take more photos or, you know, anything, educate, do more demos. Talking to this team, it's clear that they're thoughtful about every step they take. When we asked them to share some of their tips and tricks, they echoed a lot of what you're going to hear from other business owners in this episode about collaboration and figuring things out on the fly. But they also shared something we didn't hear from anyone else. Here's Antoinette. I would definitely say never compromise uh, your beliefs or your product for what you believe in it and how you want to present it. Because there will be a lot of people out there who will ask you to change maybe your vision or how you present something. And we found that we stuck to our guns and we're really glad we did, even though it was hard a lot of times. Can you give an example of like one of those hard times. Oh, I, I feel like you probably have a few. <laughs> to uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the best example is that like when we first started, we went to uh, a Vermont small business, uh, a small business advisor um, who ultimately didn't understand what we were doing and didn't understand our product and didn't understand what we wanted to do and suggested that we should change our name change our product, change every single thing that we wanted to do with our business. And we came away feeling like 
well, that's interesting. But ultimately, we had a long kind of meditation on that and realized that, no, we're going to do what we want to do. If it doesn't work, then we don't want to do it. Uh, you have to kind of not compromise your beliefs. Yeah, not taking that, like, shiny, easy road. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it always pays. It pays off in the end, yeah. you know. Being in charge of these big, formative decisions is the beauty of owning your own business. But it can also be a burden. So as the episode continues, we're going to collect more wisdom from people who had a vision and are working hard to see it through. My colleague Amy Noyes picks it up here. This is Bato. Hey, how are you doing, man? Bato Musayafendich owns and runs Bato Auto in Williston. He works on all kinds of vehicles and even sells some used cars on the side. I always wanted to work for myself. Um, I always wanted to be, you know, mechanic. I was always saying, one day I want to have my own shop. You know, one day, one day, one day, one day. Um, I mean, this was my dream. That one day came a few years ago when he opened Bato Auto. But it was a long road getting to this place. Bato came to Vermont over two decades ago as a refugee from the war in Bosnia. I went to high school over there uh, until the war. I was in the war a little bit, and then uh, I fled the war, I guess. Um, went to Hungary, then Germany. Bato met his wife in Germany. She was also there to escape the war in Bosnia, but their visas ran out, and they couldn't stay. We went back to Bosnia for a year. Uh, my son was born over there. Then uh, we moved to U.S. 1997. Bato had the skills to be a mechanic here, but not the language. He had to learn the English names for every tool and part. He did that while working the graveyard shift at a factory. And then one day, someone took a chance on him. I actually went with my brother. He was buying a car. I went with him, you know, kind of to help him, you know, check the car. And then uh, I got a job offer from um, Fred in uh, Countryside Motors in Colchester. And, um, yeah, I took a job and uh, stayed there for five years. From there, Bato worked as a mechanic in a handful of shops around Chittenden County and even did a short stint as a long-haul trucker. It wasn't for me. He opened Bato Auto in 2014. Bato's first piece of advice is to plan ahead. He knew opening his own shop would require all kinds of expensive equipment. So he started building his tool inventory while he was working for other shops. I was buying a, you know, like AC machine and transmission flush machine, stuff like that. That's expensive when I was working for somebody else. And I had a, you know, plan. I'm going to buy it, we're gonna, we can use it, but it's going to be my mine one day that when I get my own shop. And that's what happened. In addition to tools, Bado also made sure he had the customers he needed to be successful in his own shop. His advice to other would-be business owners is... They need to be sure that they, they're going to have enough work, enough clientele. Of course, advertising is one way to attract clients. But Bato's business philosophy centers on quality work and customer service. That's my advertisement, actually. You have to do a good job. If you do a good job, word is going to spread. I always go by that. If you're happy with me as a customer, you're going to tell somebody else. Bata, he always does a good job. 
It's always fast and he knows, he knows what he's doing. Mario Marich is getting an oil change and snow tires put on his dad's car. Like about a third of Bato's customers, Mario and his family were using Bato as a mechanic long before Bato Auto opened. I've been coming to Bato probably since I started driving like 15, 14, 15 years ago. And Bato relies on testimonials from longtime customers like Mario to keep new customers coming in the door. You have to have a money to start. You have to have a knowledge in whatever you're doing. You have to have, uh, build a clientele. That's the hardest part. You, you, know, you have to have a trust from the people. And I'm still here. And even though he feels he has to take on every job that comes his way to stay afloat, Bato says he's happy living his dream. I am happy, very happy. You know, I like this job, you know, I like the job. It's, it's hard, you know, sometimes it's really hard. I mean, but I don't know, I like to work on cars. Moving now from automotives to agro-tourism. If you take Brownsville Road out of Heartland and then turn up Best Road, eventually you'll come to a working farm. Park by the barns and look north, and you'll see five small cabins squared up to a long-range view. All the cabins have a great porch with Adirondack chairs, and they can just soak in the, the Vermont landscape. It's one of the first snowy days of the season, and Todd Heyman and Susie Kaplan are showing me around with their daughter, Autumn. You want to walk? You want to walk in the snow? Yeah, so um, the design was done by Black River Design in Montpelier. The cabins are bright and airy. And we were kind of going for like a modern farmhouse feel for each of the cabins, and we wanted them to be very like minimal, um, simple. There are high ceilings, and some of the cabins have spiral staircases leading up to sleeping lofts. Power comes from a solar installation on the nearby barn, and nightly rentals start at $120. Susie Kaplan says the cabins are all a little different. To kind of encourage people to maybe want to come back and stay in a different cabin. These structures weren't here when Todd and Susie bought this land in 2016. They had them built as part of a plan for a new business, Fat Sheep Farm and Cabins. We wanted to have a farm and grow most of our own food. And then Susie also wanted to do a bed and breakfast, and I had thought about a retreat center, and this seemed like a nice compromise between the two where we would be able to make a living, we hope, and mm-hmm. still grow our own food and raise our daughter on the farm. And yeah. And so far, things are going pretty well. There are sheep in the barn, though they don't seem particularly fat, and a bunch of veggies put up for winter off Todd and Susie's house. This is our delicata popcorn and potato stash. Looking good. Yeah. Todd says they've hired a full-time housekeeper, and their cabins were almost totally booked through the high season. They even got written up in the Boston Globe travel section. And given that's our, this is our first full calendar year, um, we were pretty happy with it. But it wasn't easy to get to this point. To hear Todd tell it, developing this land for farm stays was like moving through a corn maze of regulation. 
it's one of those things that you discover early on and then it just keeps getting worse because once you get into that world, you trigger a whole bunch of Vermont laws and regulations. You have Act 250 permits that you're supposed to get, building permit you're supposed to and get. And the code there is extreme. Doing any kind of septic system for your building, you're gonna have to get a permit. It that. will have an effect on your property if taxes. Working on a big enough town piece of is land, gonna come and assess the value. Some of it of your might business. be enrolled in the state's current use program. And those are all sort of big ticket items in terms of both the amount of time you're gonna spend sorting through it all and the amount of money you're gonna spend on people to help you with it. And it's definitely um, a time and expense that we didn't accurately forecast when we were starting our business. It's worth mentioning that Todd used to work as an attorney in litigation, but even he found it difficult to navigate Vermont law. I can take a look at it a lot more seriously than uh, somebody who has no experience in law, but I'm definitely not like a land use expert, although I'm rapidly becoming one. So. Todd's first tip for anyone considering a business involving development, get ye to a permit specialist. The state does employ people who you tell them what you want to do and they tell you what permits you'll need. And so basically I would say you want to start there and ideally you start there before you make any investment at all in any real estate and then you would see how that's going to affect, you know, is it even viable that you can do what you want to do? Todd says that while the regulatory stuff was a headache, he was pleasantly surprised by how helpful the state was when it came to his Act 250 permit. Current use, not so much, but overall, he says Vermont is creating opportunities for small businesses. So take advantage of them. Just to be aware of that the state is there and can help. It's not just an impediment. For example, we're applying for a working lands grant. Um, We've gotten some help from the Vermont Sustainable Jobs Fund. Todd also says it's super helpful to be in one of the industries that Vermont is targeting in its 2020 development strategy. You know, we're sort of a crossover between agriculture, a food business, and tourism, hospitality, all of which are at the centerpiece of a lot of Vermont's strong development plans. And it's because Vermont has natural assets that make it really desirable to start a business of that type here. And it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats, you know. Vermont's strong brand also lifts all boats. So Todd's last piece of advice, collaborate. We work very closely with a phenomenal restaurant in in Woodstock where we sell them produce, uh, Mangalitsa, and they're new. They just started last year. We met them at the farmer's market. And we encourage our guests to eat our food at Mangalitsa. And those kind of networks in the small communities are really easy to develop. And there's already so many great people doing stuff here with food, restaurants, tourism. So it's a, if that's where you're going, you know, you should take advantage of what Vermont has to offer. Collaboration is a big part of the business we're going to hear about next. Here's Amy again. When Ashley Reynolds returned to her job as a dental hygienist after the birth of her second child, she found herself suffering from postpartum anxiety. She noticed on one of her patients' health history chart that he also struggled with anxiety, but wasn't treating the condition with any pharmaceuticals. So I said, hey, you know, what do you do to combat your anxiety? And he was the one who said, um... I take CBD and, you know, two years ago, I had no idea what that was like a lot of people. CBD is short for cannabidiol. 
It's a compound extracted from the cannabis plant, but it doesn't get you high. People use it to treat an array of ailments, from chronic pain to anxiety. The science isn't really in yet to support or dispel many CBD claims, but Ashley decided to give it a try. And after a few days of taking CBD, it gave me my life back, and I felt so inspired to help other mothers and other folks who were struggling with the same issues and finding relief with the use of CBD as well. So began the journey of Elmore Mountain Therapeutics. Ashley and her husband, Colin, started Elmore Mountain Therapeutics in May of 2017. At the time, in addition to raising two young children, they were both working full-time jobs. Neither of them had experience running a business. A year and a half later, they've both quit their day jobs and are hiring employees. Their business has two products on retail shelves, a tincture of CBD extract and a topical balm. Ashley's first piece of advice for Vermonters considering starting a business is... Don't wait. Uh, now's the time, um, especially for you women out there. She says there's a lot of support for Vermont entrepreneurs and especially female-run startup businesses. I just won um, a pretty incredible cash award from VSET, uh, Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. This fall, Ashley was awarded $20,000 from VSET's first Female Founders Start Here Challenge for Woman-Run Startup Businesses. The awarded amount of money, I mean, it's been a game changer for our company, so... I'm forever grateful. There are other statewide business organizations, like Vermont Womenpreneurs, where startups can rub elbows with more experienced business people, which leads us to Ashley's next piece of advice. You can't get the answer to the questions you don't ask. Elmore Mountain Therapeutics also recently joined Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility, or VBSR. A quick note that VBSR has been a brave little state sponsor in the past. They encourage new members to link up with seasoned members, um, and that's exactly what we're doing, is just working that network, learning about human resources, learning about accounting, getting ready to do our taxes at the end of the year. And hand-in-hand with asking the right questions is really listening to the answers, or as Ashley puts it. Listen, 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 learn, learn, learn. Um, I think that in the beginning, I thought that I knew everything because I got a little bit of success right from the get-go, and now I do a lot more listening, and I take a lot more notes. And Ashley says her biggest piece of advice is something we also heard from Todd Heyman at Fat Sheep Farm. Collaborate. That's the secret sauce of Elmore Mountain Therapeutics. In addition to Elmore Mountain Therapeutics retail products, the company also sells its CBD extract wholesale to be used as an ingredient in an array of other products. For my infusion edible partners and cafe partners, it's a low-cost entry for the consumer. Um, my company gets an incredible amount of outlet for you know advertising and brand recognition, and then their company gets a great return on their investment. So it's really it's a triple win. You can get CBD chocolates from Nutty Steffs in Middlesex or Laughing Moon Chocolates in Stowe. You can sip a CBD margarita at El Toro in Morrisville or a CBD coffee drink at Cosmic Grind in Burlington. Massage oils, skincare products, dog treats, the list goes on. You dream it, we, we're doing it. <laughs> 
And within those collaborations lie valuable business relationships. Ashley says she gleans all sorts of wisdom from her collaborators' experience. Just their management skills, how they grow, how they overcome challenges as a seasoned business, especially adding CBD to their products and so some of the obstacles that they've had. Um, they tell me those things candidly, and it's safe, and it feels like when one person does well, we all do well. Those same collaborations also open doors when it comes to getting products on retailers' shelves. For example, if a co-op is already carrying a CBD-enhanced product, then it might make room on the shelf for bottles of the extract as well. And it goes both ways. And now it's become to the point where, you know, we just got a new account in Manhattan and they reached out to me. And rather than just sending samples of my product, I sent samples of my collaboration partners and all three of us are on the shelf. Boom, boom, boom. And I mean, that feels really, really good. So what about Vermont's creative economy? To close out this episode, we ask how you can make a living as an artist. The first thing people said was, well, you don't think you're going to just come here and get a job, right? You have to like bring your job with you. So that's what we were doing. And I think you have to be ready to make it up as you go along. This is Laura Zindel. She and her husband, Thorsten Lauterbach, moved to Brattleboro in 2004 with a ceramics company that Laura had started in San Francisco, Laura Zindel Design. It started out in my house. We have an old farmhouse. My husband renovated the hay barn, and that's where we used to work out of. Fast forward to today, when the company operates out of a 9,000-square-foot factory in a Brattleboro business park. So I'll first bring you in the room where we uh, fabricate everything. Laura gives me an after-hours tour of this space, where she and her husband now employ seven people full-time. And then these are all finished uh, blank glazeware. So we make everything to order. So when somebody orders a piece, that's when we decorate it. Laura Zindel Design makes plates and platters and other housewares printed with Laura's distinctive drawings. She started out with detailed illustrations of bugs, But now her portfolio includes all manner of creatures and plants. Uh, I have a quail nest mug in my hand, and this is part of our quail line. Uh, Then we have a farm line, and we also have many different owls. We have a woodland collection, which is... Laura's hip aesthetic seems destined for Instagram, which she loves. But she got her biggest breaks before social media even existed. Early on, her work got picked up by stores in New York City, Barney's, and ABC Carpet and Home. Her wholesale accounts have grown from 50 stores to 350 stores. And then there's retail online and in the showroom. And we have a lot of local people who support us. But our wholesale is really the biggest component of our business. Laura has a master's degree in ceramics, not an MBA. So when it comes to a lot of the business administration, she outsources. I don't know a lot of artists who love to do math. That was definitely me. So instead of just sort of sitting with a box of receipts and crying over them, I decided it's really worth the money to hire somebody to do the things that took me double time to do. For instance, getting an accountant and a bookkeeper. 
I have a business advisor who's, I think, is almost more of my therapist. So this is tip number one. So I would definitely advise people to not try to do the things that they're not good at. Save their energy for the things that they are good at. Tip number two, take advantage of local resources. Like Todd Heyman at Fat Sheep Farm, Laura says she didn't know there was so much help out there. What I would tell people is to find out immediately what your resources are around you. I mean, I didn't know about the Brattleboro Development Corporation. The Brattleboro Development Corporation is what helped Laura get into this factory space. A friend of hers was on the board and told her to give him a call. I got on the phone the next day. It's a free service, so they they had an architect work with me. They had a business advisor work with me, somebody who helped me make my first business plan, even though we'd been in business for many years, and then developed this whole idea of what the space would look like. And then through loans from the state, they built it out, and we signed the lease. So here we are today. (laughs) And I do love tip number three, be a good boss. I think the culture where you work is really important. And so I like to remind myself that I'm, I'm the leader and not the boss. And that helps me sort of process how I approach uh, having employees. A lot of the people who work for me, it, this is their first sort of 40-hour week job that they've had. And we have to teach each other how that works. Laura may be well-established at this point, but she's still learning things, too. Like, lately, she's been thinking a lot about work-life balance. You know, people are like, oh, it must be so fun and creative, and all I, the, all I do is create all day. But the, the reality is that my, my drawings are often done at the kitchen table really late at night when everyone's gone to bed. She's got to carve out time for the art that defines her company. And she's also trying to work a little less. You know, I actually belong to this business group of small business owners in um, Brattleboro, And I find that every time I go there, I feel better, even though we all have problems that we want to talk about. And one of the biggest ones lately has been how do you take a vacation? How do you leave your business and be able to really leave it for a good amount of time? Of course, too much work is kind of a good problem to have when you're a small business. But burnout is real. And finding support in the community is something that our question asker, Luke, has learned about, too. Yeah, one thing that's become really clear is that, you know, what kind of initially might strike people as a challenge. You know, we're in a small state. You know, there's only so many customers for your business. Um, But it has actually turned out to be an advantage because people are so supportive. Luke says this isn't something he experienced when he worked in other states. So not being afraid, I think, to lean on the community uh, because I think by and large, Vermonters hang together and really want to see everyone around them succeed. And so they're willing to pitch in and help or point people in the right direction. But you just have to ask. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. Amy Noyes reported this episode with me. We've got links to all the businesses and business groups we talked about up at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can submit a question of your own and vote on the one you want us to tackle next. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and from VPR Sustaining Members. If you like this show, consider becoming one. Our editor is Lynn McRae, and Ty Gibbons composed our theme music. 
Other music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks this month to Amila Merjanovic and Leslie Blount. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back next month, and until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.